Hey, May 40 here. The number one issue in the United States of America is crime. And the number one crime problem in the United States of America is illegal immigration. The southern border is just completely out of control. And what's amazing is that Donald Trump essentially had it under control. Right? He essentially did what everyone said was impossible. He squashed illegal immigration. Right? He used Remain in Mexico and other techniques. Uh, he took advantage of COVID and he squashed, right, effectively ended illegal immigration and then joe biden took over and now millions are flowing into the, the southern border i think this is the the most important news story in, in america right now and uh governor greg abbott in texas has passed a law allowing texas to arrest illegal immigrants called migrants they're not migrants they're illegal migrants so it's now illegal in texas is a a state law all right, that uh, Texas police will be allowed to arrest those who are in the state illegally, right? People who don't have legal authorization, right? It's not that they're undocumented and they've just forgotten their documents. They're in the country illegally. And now it's a crime in Texas. And I love it. This is the number one news story on the New York Times right now. So just by being the number one news story, I think is fantastic, right? And it feels good. It really feels good. It's so discouraging, the amount of illegal immigration going on in our country, and this just feels good. And uh, looking at, at Fox News, they haven't even men apparently mentioned this story in the last hour. So Tucker Carlson fought the good fight against illegal immigration, but uh, rest of Fox pretty squishy with regard to illegal immigration. So there's a 1,254-mile border. Right. And uh, th this is what uh, you're wondering what Fox is talking about. Well, this is what uh, Fox is, is talking about. It's uh, just the sensational six in the Senate Hart building has previously hosted the 9-11 commission hearings and confirmation hearings for Supreme Court justice nominees Brett Kavanaugh and Sonia Sotomayor. Now, it's also been the setting for an explicit sex tape that showed up online, and the Capitol Hill police are investigating the making... Yeah, it's a gay porn movie, all right? It gives new meaning to riding with Biden. Riding with Biden. ...and sharing of the video could lead to several charges, according to legal experts, including lewd and obscene conduct. There's also questions about trespass that were used uh, quite extensively against people over the January 6th riot. Uh, just because you have access to a room as a staffer doesn't mean that you have access for any purpose. Uh, this was obviously a, an unofficial purpose. Now, the person seen in the video has not been officially identified, although Maryland Senator Ben Cardin, a Democrat, acknowledged tonight a staffer in his office has recently been fired. It's a breach of trust. Uh, it's my understanding the Capitol Police is doing the investigation. It's a personnel issue. So we clearly will be... I'm not going to comment on the personnel issue. And it's under investigation. And the 
staffer to whom Senator Cardin was apparently referring wrote on LinkedIn, quote, this has been a difficult time for me as I have been attacked for who I love to pursue a political <laughs> agenda. While some of my actions in the past have shown poor judgment, I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. Any attempts to characterize my actions otherwise are fabricated and I will be exploring what legal options are available to me in these matters. Capitol Police say they will be conducting interviews, Kaylee, but as yet, there has been no... Right, this is number one news story on Fox. The most important story is what's going on in Texas, all right? We've got renewed focus on illegal immigration. This may well reduce it, adds more disincentives to people to come to this country illegally, particularly through Texas. The governor... Of, of Texas says he thinks that this will reduce illegal immigration 50%, but even if it only reduces uh, immigration by 5%, I mean, that, that would be fantastic. And looking at this, Fox still ha hasn't even touched it, touched it as I've just, just fast forward and skipped through its last hour of coverage. Quite disappointing. So ABC News luckily has covered Night the story. Lawmakers in Texas passing a strict new immigration bill that authorizes police officers to arrest migrants and allow state judges to force them to return to Mexico. Maria Villarreal is in Dallas with more on this for us. Good morning, Maria. Hey, good morning, Robert. It is no secret. Texas Governor Greg Abbott does not agree with how the Biden administration has been handling the border. So he's created his own initiatives and now he is funding them. Overnight, legislators backing him up, voting to approve SB4, which creates two new state crimes that target migrants who enter or re-enter the state illegally. The bill gives law enforcement the authority to arrest migrants they suspect unlawfully crossed into Texas. And it allows judges to order migrants to return to the country they crossed from, likely Mexico. Mexico. If they refuse, they could face 20 years in prison. Advocates worry the bill will create widespread racial profiling and also circumvent the asylum-seeking process. Right now, no word yet on when the bill will end up on the governor's desk to be signed, but ACLU is already vowing they will take this to court to try and prevent it from being implemented. Okay, so this uh, ABC News story is, is way out of date. The, the governor's already signed it. So this might be a path forward for Republican states to put up more barriers against illegal immigration. The, the Biden administration has no interest in, in doing the job. So maybe, maybe the states will do the job that the federal government can't do, not interested in doing, has other priorities than doing. So good for Texas, man. I mean, this is, this is terrific. I just got a 1,254-mile border with, with Mexico. We've had this massive surge of illegal immigrants. And now this is the most direct step yet yeah, taken by Greg Abbott in challenging the Biden administration over federal immigration policy. Right, Biden's deliberate inaction has left Texas to fend for itself, says the governor. And uh, the law takes effect in March. And it could create opportunity for the U.S. Supreme Court to revisit a 2012 case, Arizona versus the United States, that was narrowly decided in favor of the power of the federal government to set immigration policy. But the Biden administration has no interest in protecting our borders. So this, this is a good step forward. Now, it feels good. What feels good does not necessarily do good. And it's more important to, to do good than to feel good. But feeling good may be doing good here. All right, just making this the number one news story. And Greg Abbott says, we expect a dramatic drop over 50%, maybe 75% 
the people coming over the border illegally will stop entering through the state of Texas. So good effort here by Greg Abbott. It's good to see just new things being tried to try to staunch this flood of illegal immigration. Now, the one downside is that we we may miss out on a lot of excellence. Our our country might be deprived of the kind of excellence that we saw in response to the Ovaldi school shooting. They're saying that he's possibly in the building on the... Get inside! Go, go, go! Shots fired inside the building! There was no question about it. It's gunfire. We need to get in there. In a special investigation with ProPublica and the Texas Tribune. In the immediate aftermath of the shooting, it was clear that something had gone terribly wrong. With first-hand accounts of the response. And honestly, didn't think anybody was in there besides the gunman. The missteps. We couldn't find a way to work together. Oh, is there been a command post set up and it's so worth it? Chain of command is everything, and it was not there. And the trauma. Child called 911. The room is full of victims. Understand this is a job we signed up for, but none of us have never been in this type of situation. Now on Frontline, inside the Ovalde response. So this story's got, got everything, right? You can look at it through a genetic angle. You can look at it through just general incompetence angle. You can look at it through the immigration angle. You can look at it through a Texas angle. Like, why is Texas so incompetent that it's different uh, types of law enforcement don't have a way of communicating with each other when they respond, right? You can look at this as an American problem. Why are we attracting people to our country so mediocre? Why are our law enforcement officers so poorly trained? Why do we recruit such uh, mediocre people? Is this primarily genetic, primarily immigration? Is this primarily a Texas thing? Is this primarily a law enforcement problem? Is this primarily a, a cultural problem? What the heck? What's this going on here? Contains mature content, okay. which may mature not be content. suitable for all audiences. Good, good to know. discretion is advised. Okay, we'll, we'll be discreet here. <clears throat> so I put myself in the room. All right, if I was shot and I was bleeding out, what the thing that would be number one importance to me is getting an effective and rapid response so that I could live. Right. I want to live, right? I would think the people who are bleeding out on the floor after being shot want to live. So the most important thing to me in this kind of situation is effective response. It's not the race, religion, political orientation, uh, any partisan point scoring. I, I want to live. I simply want the most effective, efficient uh, law enforcement officers, right? I don't care if they're male or female. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. I don't care if they're black or white or Latino or Asian, all right? So how can we develop more excellence in this country, right? To me, excellence is is about the most important thing. Now, I understand that the more we have in common with other people, you would expect higher rates of social cohesion and social trust and a greater willingness to sacrifice for each other. But that certainly didn't happen here, right? These are all people who shared the same uh, language, uh, seem to share similar, you know, national, cultural, religious bonds, lived in the community, were, were you know, tightly bonded with, with this, this school and yet couldn't, couldn't uh, go, go chase the, the shooter, right? Couldn't enter the room for 77 minutes. So social cohesion, social trust, uh, homogeneity, not enough, right? 
you can have excellence without homogeneity and you can have homogeneity without excellence. So how do we encourage excellence? How do we better train people? I suspect that uh, much, maybe most of these inept law enforcement officers could have done a far better job if they'd been properly trained and properly led. So I don't think there's something inherent about most of the officers who were so bumbling and ineffective, right? I, I don't think that that's just something inherent in them. I think the, the primary problem here is lack of leadership and lack of training and a general ineptitude in Texas. And this reflects really bad on law enforcement generally because they generally just establish a perimeter when there's some kind of mass shooting. It doesn't seem very often that they go directly in to engage the shooter. They just, quote, unquote, establish the perimeter, allow the shooter to massacre everyone. And then after the shooter kills himself, then they go in and start uh, noticing the bodies. Just get some basic information from the police. May 25th, 2022, approximately 8.20 p.m. We're at the Ovalle Police Department in Ovalle, Texas. Yes, sir. Hey, Jason Filipkusa, Texas Rangers. Yes, sir. All right, brother. This is a audio video interview over the phone. Okay. Uh, I appreciate your answering my call. Soon after one of the deadliest school shootings in the U.S., right. state and federal investigators sat down with police and other law enforcement officers to ask them about their actions that day. So I, I would be curious, what's the average IQ of these officers? How well are they, they paid? Did they recruit on the basis of excellence? Like how extensive and how excellent is their training? Okay. All right. Mr. Brown, the reason why we're here is we are investigating. So I, I know someone who refers to mediocre services. I got the Hernandez package. All right. So God forbid, you know, Latino does not equate with uh, mediocre service, but there is a thread in you know, Anglo life and a thread in Latino life and probably a thread in, in Asian life that uh, produces a lot of you know, mediocre work. And so the, the poor kids in Uvalde and the, the dying dead teachers, unfortunately, they got the Hernandez package, right? So why, why don't we have excellence in our law enforcement? Why isn't that important to us? I mean, if we simply arrested and punished violent criminals, right? We could drive down our violent crime rate to 10% of what it is now. We could enforce the immigration laws and protect our borders, right? Donald Trump did it in, in 2020, right? We apparently choose not to. And I'm thinking about that missing soccer team. Was it uh, the, the, the Thai boys, right? Missing soccer team that got rescued in a cave that got rescued, all right, and uh, in Thailand, yeah, and they had that they used the elite Thai military, and the, the elite Thai military couldn't get it done. So, Thailand is, is a country of what 80 approximately 80 million people, and they couldn't 72 million people, and they couldn't rescue their own kids. They had to fly in <clears throat> two divers from England to rescue their, their own kids. So I mean, that, that's stunning. A nation of 72 million people can't rescue their own kids. They have to fly in two men in the second half of life from, from England. So how do we develop excellence, all right? And uh, something else that I'm thinking about 
what's the best mindset for life? Sometimes you definitely want people to stop, consider, and the, the liberal left mindset is often a more effective mindset when we're talking about the, the pursuit of uh, rationality, belief in rationality, the belief, belief in agency. The individual can uh, choose to you know, rise above his circumstances and you know, doesn't have to be weighed down by contagion of you know, the, the nonsense around him. There's this reflexive attitude of uh, the liberal left approach to life, all right, that you see dominating the professions. I'm sure that's, you know, very effective in some areas, but also in other areas of life, you want people just to charge in and act, you know, precognitively, that they react with disgust when kids and teachers are getting mowed down. You want people to just go in at times and, and get things done before, you know, weighing what, what's the most rational part. So sometimes precognitive functioning, just uh, reacting on basic instinct is best. So sometimes the liberal liberal left, you know, rational approach is best. Sometimes the, the more right wing traditional reactive, you know, coming from blood, soil, traditional allegiances, that that's a, a more effective response. And given how homogeneous the law enforcement response is here, how are they so incoherent, so lacking in social trust and so lacking in willingness to sacrifice for, the, for their own people, for their own flesh and blood for their own kin and extended kin. The incident that occurred on Tuesday was shooting at the Rob Elementary. Their statements were being gathered as part of the Texas Department of Public Safety's investigation into a chaotic response that took 77 minutes before officers stormed a classroom and killed the gunman. So are most of these law enforcement officers immigrants, children of immigrants? How, how are they here? Are they here legally? What did we do to allow this mediocrity? Did we encourage this? So generally speaking, uh, Texas Latinos are much higher achieving than California Latinos because Texas has much less welfare available. Because California offers such generous welfare, it uh, does not attract the same kind of you know, hardworking, higher achieving Latinos that Florida and Texas get. Can you kind of just lead me through the events uh, of that day? More than a year and a half later, the findings of the investigation have not been made public. So is the United States better off for these people being in the country, or are we worse off? I mean, are they, they bringing their, their problems with them? State prosecutors have said they plan to present the findings to a grand jury. So remember on 9-11, the different uh, law enforcement and rescue responses couldn't talk to each other. Police couldn't talk to firefighters. It was an absolute mess, and much of that mess... The fault is, was the then uh, mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, who was adulated for his response to 9-11, but he hadn't adequately prepared for events like 9-11. And so we're, we're now, what, 21 years after 9-11, and you still in Texas have this very law enforcement response where people can't even talk to each other because different branches of Texas law enforcement are not on the, the same radio frequency. Let's record here. Okay, I see the numbers move. A reference to the incident that happened at Rob Elementary. Uh, and we just need to get your sires, what you saw, what happened, okay? The Texas Tribune, ProPublica, and Frontline gained access to a trove of the investigative materials, including body cam footage, 911 calls, and hundreds of recorded interviews. And it's my understanding that you were working the day of the incident? Is yes, that sir. correct? 
These are the first-hand accounts of the officers who responded to the shooting at Robb Elementary. Um, we'll go ahead and start this interview. Um... Are there no standards? Can he just be fat, 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 fat? I mean, are there any standards whatsoever to be a, a policeman here? This is ridiculous. Like, what kind of self-respecting police force has people this fat? Agent Valdez, um, on that, do you remember that day, the 24th? Right. You, you set a standard, all right, for, for excellence, or you don't set a standard. And, and, and allowing police officers to be this slovenly, this, this fat, does not exactly inspire confidence, and it does not encourage excellence. 77 minutes it took before they went in. It was an unlocked door. Their excuse was, oh, people killed. They wanted keys. 19 young students. The door was the unlocked. second deadliest school shooting in U.S. history. In the immediate aftermath of the shooting in Uvalde, officers were praised for how they'd responded. Law enforcement officials did what they do. They showed... Right, so instinctive support for the police or instinctive support for, for our, our military or instinctive support for our president is you know, not necessarily the wisest response. Everybody benefits from accurate criticism. I do, you do, police do, military do, politicians do, religious leaders do, Jews do, blacks do, homosexuals, you know, Anglos, Japanese, Chinese, all right, uh, Nicaraguan Americans. All right, every group benefits from accurate criticism. Amazing courage. By running toward gunfire. But quickly, a different story began to emerge. There were growing concerns today about how police responded to the deadly elementary school massacre in Uvalde, Texas. He managed to stay inside for an hour before... After the governor praised the response, and then it turned out that was almost the opposite that happened, we knew that we had to figure out what really occurred that day and ask questions about why it all went so wrong. Loemi Creel was an investigative reporter with ProPublica. Wait, all, all went so wrong. Isn't this really the norm for police responses to mass shootings? Don't police typically hang back, you know, let, let the shooters massacre people, and then they only go in once the shooters commit suicide? I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Isn't this the norm? Police say, oh, they're establishing the perimeter. In other words, they're too chicken to go in and engage the shooter. All right, they're going to let the shooter massacre the kids. And then when the shooter commits suicide, then the police move in. So is, is the Uvalde response really that different from our other police responses to school shootings? ...and the Texas Tribune. For over a year, she and a team of reporters have been analyzing the trove of evidence they obtained and writing about the breakdowns in the response. Breakdowns, maybe this, this is deliberate police policy. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They just allow shooters to massacre kids because this does seem to be the normal police response to school shootings. Let them massacre the kids and we'll move in afterwards when it's safe. This is the first time we have ever received this amount of information for a mass shooting. Frankly, it's typically rare to get this for any kind of, of criminal case, but particularly for mass shootings where that is often withheld for years if it's ever released publicly. 
What we did was line up the more than two dozen body cams, go through it, try to identify officers, transcribe the body cameras, and then start pouring through the hundreds of hours of law enforcement interviews that are on this file. With a possible criminal case looming, most of the officers involved in the response have declined to talk publicly or to us. I mean, look at these guys. Do they look like our best and brightest? Do they look like they're in good cognitive and physical shape? About what happened. But we were able to review the accounts that almost 150 of them gave to investigators. Okay, let's... Uh... Let's talk to Elliot Blatt. Blatt, I'm, I'm so sorry that I ran you off uh, yesterday, bro. What's going down? Uh, bro, you call contact me, bro. I am so sorry. That's not like me. That's, I know where I stand in the great <laughs> chain of being, bro. You're number one a, in my heart, bro. It was a, it was a little brush with reality, bro. I had to do some reflecting. <laughs> <clears throat> so anyway, I got over it, though. So, uh, yeah, you know, my bar stories really aren't that interesting, you know, because it's just, you know, they're not, it's not a big deal. You know, I just ended up talking to a wanker for an hour and I'm like, God, this is draining, you know? Like, why didn't you have empathy? Why, why didn't it fill you with energy? Remember, like I was talking up, I've been talking up both in private and in on my shows, the benefits of going to a sports bar. It's, it's an easy way to connect with people. So why didn't you find it energizing? Well, it was a bit too easy. That's the problem with the bar. There's no bar. There's no barrier to entry, right? And like, you know, you look around the bar. This is like a Sunday afternoon, and they've got bowls out of free food. You know, and what is the food? Donuts, entire donuts that you can just reach in and grab and stuff in your mouth. You know, I guess semi-stale donut. It was so depressing to watch. And then you look at all these characters at the bar and very few of whom seem to be strangers to the donut, bro. It was just wasn't nice eye candy in the, in the old bar, bro. Hard to watch. Uh, but but you had an opportunity for like genuine like human connection, it sounds like. So tell me more about that. Um, well, it's not genuine. It's sort of partial human connection. It's sort of very superficial human connection because um, it's all mediated through the context of watching the game and, you know, hooting and hollering at the appropriate time and offering your commentary on the game and all this kind of stuff. And then in betwixt all of that, there's these little personal anecdotes that you share with each other. And, but they're, they're not deep subjects, bro. It's not the it's not the JQ. It's not Kaufman's. It's not it's not the weighty matters of our time, bro. I, I mean, I talk about hero systems and and Osama bin Laden and Gaza and we, I mean, I've I've had fantastic conversations in bars. Really? Yeah. Well, are you going hmm. to these high IQ Orthodox Jewish bars or what? No, these are dive bars, bro. But I when I walk in, I elevate the place. No, <laughs> I'm sure you look like really out of place. I, th I bet you're very uncomfortable in a bar, bro. No offense. Don't take it. Not your scene, bro. So you so, go up to the bar and order some uh, beef organ capsules. <laughs> I, I, I I tip generously. I just drink water and hang yeah. out and, and schmooze. Yeah. 
that's that's cool. That's cool. Um, so yeah, you've done it twice. You know, you've done it twice in the last month. Is that right? Two, three yeah, times. Yeah, I did it yesterday. In fact, I went to watch the the, the uh, 49ers game, and so, it was it wasn't it was the Cardinals, and the Cardinals really aren't much of a team, so the bar wasn't nearly as full, and so. Um, it was just kind of a lackluster affair, you know, because uh, by the third quarter, it was more or less a fait complete. I left at the third quarter because San Francisco took this insurmountable lead and I didn't need to see the last quarter. Um, but I did chit chat with the bartender, um, which was, you know, which is an interesting experience because, you know, a bartender sort of kind of paid to be friendly to you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's paid to be interested in whatever bullshit you come up with. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I got a got some uh, little local history. It was <clears throat> interesting, you know, learned, learned a few things about Marin County and Janice Joplin and all these sort of local luminaries and where they like to drink and all these types of things. Uh, all very interesting. So, are you but, glad you went, or was it was it a, a wash? Uh, no, I, I I left feeling a bit disappointed, feeling like you know, I, I didn't you know I didn't feel bad coming out of there. I just didn't feel elevated either. I just felt sort of a neutral experience. Not much to talk about, bro. Um, and you've done it several times, and so I, I, I was pushing it. Like I think, blokes, if you're you know, lacking human connection, you know, go to a sports bar. It's an easy way to get connected, but it hasn't been working out for you. No, I mean, perhaps I'm taking, choosing the wrong bar. I do like the ambiance of this bar. It's a tiki bar. You know what a tiki bar is? Uh, yes, Polynesian themed. Yeah, exactly. Coconut drinks, umbrellas, maraschino cherries. You know, it's kind of a campy thing, but it's amusing, you know. So I actually kind of like that aspect. Um, uh, and I kind of wish there were more people. There were more people um, that didn't seem like such losers. They just seemed like dejected losers in this war. And that, that sort of uh, posture that people have when they're dejected, it's sort of infectious. It's sort of negatively infectious. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you find that <clears throat> to be true? I mean, you know, the way people look and the way people carry themselves sort of it has an impact on you, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of people just kind of ambling around the city with their slumped posture and looking filthy and, you know, dressed in hospital gowns and smoking cigarettes and wheelchairs. And it's just like a little bit here and there is one thing, but if it's sort of like, the, it seems to be like the norm now. And I don't know. It makes me, it makes it puts me down and it makes me disinclined to leave the house. Maybe maybe a different bar, bro. Where the cool uh, kids hang yeah. out. But you know, there are the bars, but I don't know. They they all seem to have the same vibration, more or less. You know. Um, maybe a I mean, bathhouse. Be... <laughs> That's the alternative. Good fits. <laughs> Yeah, in San Francisco. Sure to be clean and wholesome, you know. Um, uh, I, I I am inclined. I need to like a hot tub. I need I, like I'm really achy these days. I, I'd like to take a hot tub. But I, I need to find like the most um, 
you know, heterosexual environment. Bathhouse, yeah. I used, well, I used what are the most heterosexual bathhouses in San Francisco? We should just well, lay that out there. I used to be a member of the JCC in San Francisco. Okay. Because it was known for having the cleanest pool in the city. You know, yeah. it wasn't unfortunately for me to get, you know, get connected to my uh, <coughs> Semitic roots. It was <coughs> just because of the, the clean pool. But um, the problem is, or was, any of these public swimming facilities, anytime I go to them, I get the most tenacious, disgusting athlete's feet every time I go. And I, I can't, I just can't bear it. It's just, it, it just kills it for me. You know, do you, you ever suffer from athlete's feet? Uh, no, never. Uh, you never have? But, but isn't that the spray or ointment? There is spray and ointment. Um, and it does sort of work. But it's just weird to have to do it all the time, you know? It's like it's a really toxic chemical. It's like, oh, I can't be happy until I completely douse my feet in toxic chemicals. It's just, I got sick of it, man. It's, it's such a petty thing, you know? But... Um, I just it just makes me so afraid of the public in general. Like, put it this way. So I, I did go out to eat tonight. I've been working a lot lately, and I didn't have time to cook tonight. So I went out to this Thai restaurant. And, you know, you know when you're eating, like, spicy food? Well, you probably don't eat at these restaurants because they're not kosher. But if you eat a lot of spicy food, you know, you, it creates a lot of mucus. You know, you have to blow your nose a lot. And so... When I blow my nose with an, in a napkin at a restaurant, I don't put the napkin in the table, bro. I put it in my pocket and I take the napkins out and I dispose of them, you know. I don't put them back on the table so that the waitress has to, like, pick up my snotty napkin, you know. And I That's realize great. that. I'm really like rare in that respect. I don't think most people like have that sort of germ phobia that I have. I'm very germ conscious. And I, I not only take care of my own germ exposure, but I take care of the germ exposure of others. Cause I, I care. Luke. I, I care. That's beautiful, man. Thanks, I'm bro. proud of you. You're making the world a better place. I, is there a neighborhood watch in your community? Maybe you should join a neighborhood watch. Uh, well, there's sort of a, a proto neighborhood watch that existed on exists next on door. Next, yeah, but <laughs> I, I got nuked from next door. <laughs> so, but but it was only two weeks. It's only two weeks. So I'm in my second week of suspension. Okay. I thought I was completely hosed, but it's only two weeks, and um, the circumstances are a little bit <laughs> amusing. But it was all kicked off by the fact that, um, you know, I told you about the term bipping, right? You know what yeah. bipping is? Yeah. So the, the CVS, the pharmacy nearby, got bipped and got bipped in a rather dramatic way because um, they, they drove their car, bam, right through the front windscreen, went through the plate glass window. That's how they broke in. They just smashed the front of the store. And went in and just did a you know a bunch of looting, and this kind of really shocked people because 
this type of activity usually is not in my particular neighborhood. And so there's a lot of discussion on next door about it. And um, there's this woman who identifies as a Satanist and a socialist. And she was just going on and on about how we imprison too many people. And, you know, it's really our fault for being so harsh and uh, not loving our cops, well, that we love our cops and our law enforcement too much. And so I went in and made the opposite case that, in fact, we don't love our cops and law enforcement quite enough. And that the real problem is, is that we're bringing in a lot of, um, you know, low IQ violence prone individuals. And, uh, <laughs> I, and, I, and I, I told this to Claire, I was on Claire's show yesterday, I told this to Claire, but in my, in my commentary, I used the word tard, T-A-R-D, not retard, but tard, T-A-R-D, thinking, well, you know, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to get me on the retard charge, right? I thought I could dodge the retard charge. So, and, um, but in fact, I think those two are treated as synonyms. And I think that's what pushed me over the edge and got me nuked. So it was a learning experience, bro. I mean, you're handling it with grace. Oh, you can tell, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Is it raining down there? It's raining up here. It's um, uh, a little bit on and off. Uh, it's kind of dismal. When it rains here, it's just so dreary. I need the sun like like it's a, you know, like I need to breathe. I really need the sun beaming down on me to feel good. So I'm feeling down, bro. It's It's chemical, though. But I'm not going to go running to some sort of, you know, medical doctor and just have them load me up with a bunch of pharmaceuticals, bro. I'm just going to grin and bear it. You know yeah, you see through the BS, man. I mean, you may be miserable. Your life may not be working, but at least you see through the BS. Unlike those people who are happy and effective, but but they're all, you know, medicalized with, you know, pharmaceuticals. You, you're a man. You stand on your own two feet. You don't take pharmaceuticals. I'm not afraid of my real feelings, bro. I just feel exactly. them. Exactly. I feel them and I embrace them. And I accept them as part of life, dude. I no, am no so, for me. so grateful for Adderall now that when I go off it, I mean, yeah. I I am just not nearly as coherent. It, oh, no? it really It really increases the quality of my life to be on Adderall because I, I just so so clearly understand it now when I when I go off it. my I, I just start uh, switching ah. from topic to topic. I mean, I think once I get my proper dose of Adderall, I'm just going to do shows that have only one topic for like three hours. Hmm. Well, uh, instead of skipping around so, seven yeah. different topics over, you know, 55 minutes. So you're going to go in depth, huh? You're yeah. Take one I'm just going to be coherent, the, cohesive. The full Rogan. The full yeah. Rogan. The full, the full Rogan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what I've been, I've been watching lately on, on YouTube are these um, cosmology um you know, Big Bang, the universe, these types of documentaries. There's a whole slew of them on. Okay. And they go they go into the intricacies of the Big Bang and what it means and what the scientists and what, you know, what the theory is and what the math is and what Einstein's theory really meant and all this stuff. Really like thought for both mind blowing stuff, bro. Mind blowing. And uh it's um it's kind of a refreshing break from politics, I have to say. So, I mean, I'm not really intrinsically interested in this topic, but it's always accompanied by these really spectacular cosmic 
you know, intergalactic visuals that are just very soothing to look at, you know? And yeah. so, uh, and I think produced by the BBC or from Oxford. And there's probably a dozen or two dozen of them. And uh, it's so interesting. Like, you know, I don't know how much science you did in school, but like, remember the atom and you had the nucleus yes. and the, pro the, the nucleus with the protons and the neutrons and the electrons. But I had to cut out <laughs> atoms in my science class. You had to cut them up? Yeah. What? I had really? to dissect atoms in my science class. Well, yeah, but there's like 61 different particles inside the nucleus of an atom. Right? It's so, like, amazing. And it's like none of them have any mass. And there's, like, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force. It's all this big brain stuff. But you don't have to do all that tedious reading, bro. You just sit there get to sit there and listen and watch it's like it's a charmed existence i have have you been so watching now, season two of reacher it's so good it's on amazon prime no i i have no entertainment outside of youtube bro oh, not even the crown no 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 the no, final no. season bro season six i don't know see i'm not on adderall bro i get to go to bed at night <laughs> i get to go to sleep <laughs> you ever try that Steve? Louis? How many hours I, a night do you sleep, dude? Uh, the, the same. I, I probably average about five, but when when I get into deficit, I can, I can have you know probably eight or nine at times. Uh, it hurts me to hear that, bro. It hurts me to hear that. How how much sleep do you get a night? Minimum eight. Minimum eight. Wow. More like nine or ten. Um, but I do wake up in the middle of the night here and there, um, which is unpleasant, but. Do you watch Frasier when you wake up and have some uh, crystal no, no, chris, no. crystal light? No, none of that junk for me. But I, I'm serious. I'm, yeah, I've been joking around here, but I'm serious. Sleeping is where you do the deep repair, both physically and mentally. And I, I get that done in a bathhouse, bro. No, bro. No. And then on. I can, I can now, skip now, on the, the, I know, the you sleep. You see the bullshit. You see the bullshit. You just think Adderall is going to fix all your problems. You see right through it all, but I'm serious, dude. And it's not just the physical repair. It's the mental repair, the refreshment, the spiritual refreshment you get from a proper night's sleep. And then you wake up and you, real, you really feel cleansed, you know? And if you're depriving yourself of that, you're missing out on your best life, my dude. And you're going to live what you're not going to live as long as you should. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I should get more sleep. Where, where do I get yourself a proper bed, get off the floor, you know, just adopt the normie path, bro. Just the middle way, the middle way, just moderation, moderation and evenness. You just want to, you want what you want to do, Luke, is you want to, you want to aim for just a few degrees above boring. I like it. You know what I'm saying? It's I like the, it. It's the natural, it's, it's like, it's like. <laughs> Imagine you were like living in like a medieval village, you know, and you had very little, uh, you had very <laughs> low expectations. I, I mean, I, at least I've successfully created a show that's just one notch above boring. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. There's they, so many exciting right. live streams out there, but no, I keep mine just one notch above boring. Yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> you want to ratchet I don't down pander. I don't pander like Ethan Ralph and Richard Spencer and Nick Fuentes and, you know, with their yeah. exciting live streams. I just keep mine just one notch above boring. Sometimes <laughs> one, one notch below boring. Yeah, just just like background music, you know, <laughs> kind of like an elevator. <laughs> Did you enjoy um, my my lecture on uh, the epistemology of populism yesterday? Did you find that stimulating? I did, but I didn't retain much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with this big brain stuff, bro. It just goes. It, it doesn't really take root anymore, the way the way it used to. It's not as compelling as the JQ. The JQ debates were just intrinsically, you know, dramatic and captivating and, um, you know, memorable. You know? Well, not everything can be as exciting as gay sex in a Senate chamber, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, the cottage jokes are just off the charts. But just, can you imagine being like in Omaha and you pick up the paper? You know, you're at your little country diner and you pick up the paper and you get your scrambled eggs and your toast. And you <laughs> pop open the newspaper and you just look at your cottage. <laughs> oh, these are just, life is not like it used to be, bro. Like these Ronald Reagan. Interesting Ronald times. Reagan, Ronald Reagan would never even take off his uh, suit jacket when he was in the awful Oval Office. Because <laughs> he felt it disrespected the office to be, like, shirt-sleeved. Um, you know, that was a big deal in the early part of uh, colonial Boston. Because the Puritans, you know, if they're going out and gardening, they're dressed up for it. They got a full, like, you know, they got a suit and tie on, basically. And this one writer, I forgot his name, he was decrying that his neighbors, it might have been from Germany, it might have been from Italy or something, but they were out working in the garden in their shirt sleeves. <laughs> and he was scandalized by this. <laughs> I wonder what he think about a guy opening up his buttocks in a Senate <laughs> chamber and, <laughs> and, and recording it. Yeah. It's a different world. So anyway, I grew up in New England, and I sort of like, kind of imbibed that sort of Puritan ethic, you know, so it's sort of in me, sort of. And so I'm just very easily scandalized. But God, that was incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know, bro. It's different times. I, it's hard It's hard, hard to feel optimistic. It does feel like there's some sort of, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah type prophecy unfolding here. Certainly Sodom. Strong <laughs> in the sodomy. <laughs> Um, so the jokes just write themselves. I mean, it was a real bummer. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> okay, bro. Great to hear all from right. you. All right. Peace. Blessings. Right, okay. Right. Hello. Okay. Hello. Okay. okay. I want to get back to this uh, documentary on Uvalde. Law enforcement officers who responded, they spoke openly about what happened that day, including voicing their own fears, their concerns, and their regrets. And we realized by going through it that perhaps we could piece together some of what happened that day. We do have some questions and we kind of want to clarify some things that happened yesterday. Sure. Uh, uh, why, why would you want an obese police chief? I mean, is that really 
inspiring of confidence. Talking about uh, ex-chief Pete Arredondo here, who so brilliantly failed to lead in the Uvalde shooting response. So let's just start with how your day started yesterday. Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo was interviewed the day after the shooting. He would later be heavily criticized for his handling of the response. Y'all bear with me because this is probably one of the first times I'm, I'm telling the entire story. I'm trying to, to think as I'm going. <clears throat> it wasn't noon yet, I know that, but it's probably not far from noon. At 11.28 a.m., surveillance footage from behind the school shows a truck driving into a ditch. A teacher calls 911. Anybody counting 911? Yes, there was just an accident right there behind Rob's school. Behind Rob's they ran a yes, they ran into the ditch. What how many vehicles? It's, a pickup, it's one truck, it's a pickup truck. Two witnesses approach the vehicle and the driver starts shooting. Oh my god, they're running. I don't know why. Oh my god, it's lots of guys! The dispatcher calls for police to respond. If I can have you around to 715 Oak Road, have a one vehicle accident, white pickup truck crashing. So if the police response is going to be this cowardly and this inefficient and this ineffective and this mediocre, why wouldn't you own weapons, right? Why wouldn't you be part of some kind of neighborhood response, neighborhood watch? Why wouldn't you... Uh, make make plans to support your friends and you know come to each other's aid. Have a caller advising male subject has a gun. We advise shots fired. Shots fired. We, I heard the word gunshot. Um, I, I didn't quite catch the whole transmission. Uh, obviously, you grab the keys and start running out the door to get to your unit. Um, and then I heard uh, Rob school. Um, I remember. Got off. We, have, we have to carry two radios because we have school or campus radio, communicate with the campuses, and then we have police radio. Um, um, unfortunately, I don't have uh, hosters for those. They got my way. I threw them, and obviously I'm running at this point. In addition to not having a radio, Chief Arredondo did not have a body camera. This is footage from other officers arriving around the same time. Valde Police Staff Sergeant Eduardo Canales was also among the first to respond. So I'll stop, I get out, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like blindfolded. I don't see the accident. Mm-hmm. I, don't see, I don't see no accident. Um, however, I hear... So these guys leave kids and teachers bleeding out on the floor for 77 minutes before they finally enter the room where the shooter is. A bunch of people yelling, he went in the building. Uh-huh. Still not thinking this is a, a shot the shooter. I'm thinking, okay, those are 1050, this guy has a gun, a Glock, maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he ran to school trying to get away from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, on the grounds. Uh, it still hasn't hit me that this guy was actually there, mm-hmm. the shooter. He arrived on the scene with Lieutenant Javier Martinez. I, I mean, this guy must weigh over 250 pounds. Really, this, this is who you have for your police? I, I had no idea what I was walking into. We we actually thought we were going to a, an accident scene where what I thought was an accident and they're shooting at each other. Road yeah. rage. Yep. That- I mean, there are absolutely no standards for police. You can be morbidly obese and a police officer here. That was my, that was my first thought. Don't stop you. 
So I was just reading an article in the Washington Post. Americans are getting shorter, steadily getting shorter, more obese and getting shorter. Arriving with Chief Arredondo was Ovalde Police Sergeant Daniel Coronado. Right, they're, they're running, but, you know, with, with that amount of, of blubber, right, they're going to be absolutely exhausted. His body camera shows the chief running towards the school. Guys, be careful! He might be in that building! We start running and... and... Guys, be careful, he might be in that building, meaning... Police, be careful. You might get hurt. So be very careful about mounting any kind of response to a shooter who was slaughtering kids and teachers. Be very careful because you might get hurt. Kind of towards, I don't know where I was at at the time. Okay. Yavali, they're saying that he's possibly in the building on the... I mean, the poor guy can, can barely speak because he's so out of breath after running a block. Then I hear a lot of gunfire, and my heart sank because I thought, oh, like, I think he's either engaging officers or he's in the building. Yeah, uh, their heart sank because they were at risk, and so their first thought is not to engage the shooter, but to find safety for themselves, let the kids and the teachers get slaughtered. Shots fired inside the building, you buddy. As they get close... They hear the tail end of more than 100 rounds being fired inside the school. As soon as we heard it, we went in. Okay. Like, there was no question about it. We heard mm -hmm. it, and I told, I told Jai Martinez, it's gunfire. Gun we need to get in there. Staff Sergeant Canales and other officers rush into the school on the northwest side of the building. Yeah, they, they go in until there's some danger to themselves, and then they retreat. A surveillance camera shows the officers moving down the hallway toward classrooms 111 and now, I bet many of these police would be effective and brave if they were properly trained and properly led. And then some of them are just so fat and ineffective and cowardly, they shouldn't even be police officers. On 12, where they think the gunfire came from. What's that door? What's that door? Within seconds... Chief Arredondo, Sergeant Coronado, and other officers enter the school at the opposite end of the hall. This is their own community, all right? These are school district cops, all right? These are their kids, their spouses who are teachers, all right? These are their own kith and kin. And yet, you know, look at how ineffective and cowardly they are. I mean, just imagine if, if uh, they were asked to try to rescue or save or be of service to people who were different from them. I mean, they're too cowardly to even mount a response for their own kith and kin. Just imagine how awful they'd be if they were asked to mount a response for outsiders. I mean, this is the kind of mediocrity that I expect from uh, Latin American and uh, Mexican police responses. And now we've imported that into the U.S. <sighs> it's just... Smoke everywhere. The officers recognize it's an AR-15 style rifle. I was like, okay, well, this is it. I mean, we're probably going to get hit because there's like the the way he was shooting. He's probably going to take all of us out. 
I, I looked over and I glanced and I could see the bullet holes all through the walls. I remember the window. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was pitch black in there. Okay. Like I could not see inside that. So if you want a safe, cushy job, maybe you shouldn't be a police officer. This is the job you signed up for. Right? This is the pledge you took. Right? This is the training that you received. This is why you get the privilege of carrying a gun and arresting people because you're expected to run towards danger and terminate danger. Right? And if that's not for you, then go be an insurance agent. That room is pitch black. The gunman fires through the door of one of the classrooms, grazing Staff Sergeant Canales and Lieutenant Martinez. Am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? You know who's bleeding? Right, 17 kids and a couple of teachers. They're bleeding. They're bleeding out, bro. Bleeding like blood or something. I was like, what? I was like, shot? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and Javier was like, hey, I feel like, you know, so we're, we both kind of retreat back a little bit towards where we were fairly injured. Mm-hmm. And we kind of turned around. We were just like, I thought, this, I don't know if this guy was going to come out. Surveillance footage shows Lieutenant Martinez going back down the hallway alone then returning to where other officers are positioned. The first few moments of a response is crucial, is what experts said. This is the best moment in time to engage the shooter and rescue any victims. So officers initially did that, and then they stumbled back when they're grazed by bullets. And that ends up really setting the stage for the rest of the response. No one tried to go into the room for another 70 minutes. Honestly, yeah. But they do take time to apply hand sanitizer. I think anybody was in there mm-hmm. besides the gunman, because I, you know, and... No. They just come up with every excuse under the sun not to confront the, the gunman. And Dennis Prager talks about this, right? He says the problem's not with evil being dark. It's so blindingly, you know, bright that uh, people people are afraid to, to look at it, so they make every excuse to look away. Right? This is their job, to confront evil, and they look away and apply the hand sanitizer. That, you know, I, I just honestly thought that they were in the cafeteria, because it, it, it seemed like all the lights were off, and it seemed like it was really quiet. I didn't hear any screaming, any yelling. Mm-hmm. I literally didn't hear anything at mm-hmm. all, you, yeah. know? you know? And, you know, you would think those you know, kids would be yelling and screaming, Officers after officers said that because it was so silent, they didn't hear any screams or any indication that a child was inside that wing, that they believed it was empty, even though it was the middle of a school day on one of the last days of the semester. We couldn't hear the kids. We couldn't hear him shooting anybody or anything like that. Um, So I guess that's why, you know, they were waiting to make entry because... We didn't know what was going on in there. It was, it was too quiet. I guess in your right. mind, did you think there was kids in that room? There, I knew there was a possibility because of school, but I didn't know for sure that there was kids in the room. Again, it was really quiet, and, you know, I know, you know, I mean, I went to middle. And the problem is that this is the typical cop response. Right? The, this isn't an exception. Right? This isn't, you know, out of the ordinary. This is the typical cop response. 
elementary school, you know, you have your little, like, your science class where you walk out or right. PE or at different times of the day and hopefully, you know, other activities. I know it's also, like, the end of the year. So I was like, maybe they're doing something else, you know, not in their classrooms. But that was, that was kind of wishful thinking. Man, that hallway was so quiet after the shots were done. You could literally hear yourself breathing. You didn't hear any kids. You didn't hear any teachers. Nothing. I, and I do remember even asking Pete, hey, is, is this building clear? Is it just maybe one or two classrooms? And he's like, I, he said, I, I do not know. Because like I said, you didn't hear anybody. I don't hear any screaming. And usually I would think, you know, I put myself in a position of being that age. I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's fight or flight. No, no screaming. Yeah, no screaming, right? Because kids kids and, and teachers who are being shot are in danger of being shot and not going to want to draw attention to themselves. No yelling. And it's almost like, okay, maybe this, maybe this place is empty. Children and teachers are taught to be quiet during an active shooter threat. That is their best defense to stay alive. So what the children and teachers told us and investigators is that they followed that training. So what we found was kind of this incredible contrast. The children and the teachers followed their training, but by following their training and staying quiet, that actually meant that officers thought they weren't there and it took so did, did the cops fail to follow the, their training? That, that obviously they, they've received some training. It's a universal uh, trained response that when there's a school shooting, all right, when civilians are being shot, you go directly after the shooter right away. You don't hang back. That's, that's the protocol that seems to be rarely followed by police. All right, the, the, the kids and the teachers follow the protocol, but the, the cops, right, they know the protocol but they ignore it because it might place them at risk. Longer for them to help them. After the burst of gunfire from rooms 111 and 112, Sergeant Coronado tries to let other first responders know what is going on. So I'm like trying to get on my radio and there's no radio connection inside the, the building. So I'm like, and I know there's more guys. All right, so th this is on, on Texas, right? The, their radios don't work. They can't talk to each other. They're inadequately trained. They're inadequately led. The, the cops are a bunch of, you know, pathetic uh, incompetence, all right? Some of them, I think, with effective training and leadership would be good at their job. But this is primarily on, on Texas and its various law enforcement agencies that they fail to lead and fail to instruct and fail to train people to be competent. It's coming. So I run back outside and I like start getting on the radio. I start trying to give uh, directions of where, where to get everyone posted up. Stay right there, guys. in this office. Okay, guys. Right, they have to go out there to prevent the parents from going in to rescue their own kids, right? The cops are too chicken to go in and rescue the kids, but they are very brave in stopping the parents from going in to rescue their own kids. He's on inside this building. We have him contained. Oh. An officer's 
Oh, great news. They have him contained. Wonderful, wonderful job, guys. You have him contained. Very impressive. Says the subject is contained. Coronado announces it over the radio. He believe he's uh, barricaded in one of the one of the offices. I messed up. They're still shooting. Contained and barricaded. What those two words convey to the other officers who are arriving at the scene is that the gunman likely is inside a room alone without right so if you're going to have a considered rational response all right it is rational to try to save your own skin right what, what you want here is the more instinctive response of uh, either training or just uh, decency or righteousness or outrage to to perhaps you know supersede the, the self-interested, you know, how do I stay safe and avoid doing my job tendency. Any victims. And so what that does is set up a response where they're treating it like a barricaded subject rather than an active threat where they should try getting to that room immediately. Sergeant Coronado's announcement is the first on the radio that we could find that calls this barricaded. But Many officers, in fact, nearly all of the ones that we went through, said not only that once they heard that announcement, they treated it as a barricaded suspect. You know how he was barricaded? He hid in a closet, right? The door was unlocked. He was behind an unlocked door and hiding in a closet. Just really killer barricades that the, these poor, poor cops had to confront. Some guy in an unlocked classroom, like hiding in a closet. But also when they arrived at the school, they continued treating it that way, despite mounting indicators that this was not. Right, because this was the way to reduce the risk to themselves. This gave them more and more excuses to avoid confronting the shooter and just to allow the shooter to massacre the kids and the teachers and then allow the kids and the teachers to bleed out and uh, they get to save their own skins. The case. Yeah, at what point did they say... Okay, stop, barricaded subject, not active shooter. Because that's, that's big, right? Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest with you, like I said, I mean, I mean, I don't know where that came out of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're just reacting to what you're dealing with. So a guy shows up, and his wife is, is one of the teachers who's under, under threat, and he doesn't even go in to confront the shooter. And this is their own kith and kin. This is their extended family. Right, this is people they know and you presume love, and they are completely unwilling to do their job to protect. But at that moment in time, there's no distinct, there's no distinct determination. Like, okay, well, now it's a barricaded subject. Um, I mean, when when you have someone barricaded, you know, in an unlocked classroom, right, a, a door that's unlocked, that's the barricade, and hiding in a closet, that's the extent of the barricade. But it's enough for all these cops to go, oh, barricaded subject, uh, we, we better pause and think things through and let the kids and the teachers bleed out. Someone locked in a room and there's no rounds going off? Yeah. And you don't know? I mean, like I said, I mean, you don't see any bodies. Yeah. You don't see any blood. You don't see anybody yelling, screaming for help. Those are motivators for you to say, for hey, sure. Sure. get going, move. But if you don't have that, then slow down. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, 
It was a barricade subject? Yes, barricade subject. John, I'm asking you, in your yes. mind, right? In my mind, yes, because uh, we didn't hear any more shots. As soon as we got there, it was just complete silence. This guy's probably just a guy that wrecked out his vehicle. They didn't want to get caught by police because he's a smuggler with a gun and has and is, has now barricaded himself inside of a classroom and is shooting sh rounds to get us off his back. Okay. I, I don't know. There's no kids yet. And at the point that the shot stopped, I think it, it was more like you were treated like a barricaded person because you don't know what. They would just come up with endless excuses to avoid doing their job to avoid any danger. They would just come up with an infinite and endless stream of excuses to stop confronting a guy who's shooting kids and teachers. He has, are they hostages? Are they, you know, the last thing we thought was that he had actually shot the kids. We thought he had shot up in the air, broken the lights, so we had no idea. Right. Yeah, it was stunning to them that uh, perhaps a guy who goes into a school and starts shooting, that he might have shot kids. Like, who would have thought that a guy rushes into a school and starts shooting, who would have thought that possibly you might be shooting kids? What was behind those doors? At seven minutes into the standoff, a teacher down the hall from the gunman calls 911. I don't have a visual, but I could hear gunshots outside of my classroom. You could still hear gunshots in the building in the building. I don't know. There's been a lot, a whole lot. And I've got a message from somebody that somebody is shot in another classroom. Somebody is shot in the classroom? Okay, can you tell me if it's a teacher? Okay, so seven minutes in, all right, they've got a 911 call saying that there are people who've been shot in a classroom, right? and the police wait another 70 minutes before going in, right? Seven minutes in, they know that uh, someone's been shot in a classroom, but they wait another 70 minutes before going in because this guy's barricaded behind an unlocked door. Mine and another one. I'm sorry, what? Another person. I don't know. I don't know. Please hurry. Okay, now what room number? What room number? Can you tell me what room number? I'm in room 102. I'm okay, in so it's going to be a classroom? I don't know where you got right now. I gotta go. I can't let them hear me. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I understand. Okay, hurry, hurry, hurry. Okay, hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And the cops wait another 70 minutes, even though they know that he's he shot people. At the same time, Chief Arredondo calls into dispatch. Officers at the other end of the hall hold their positions. Not having a radio, uh, I know it's something to call 911 so that there's a reporting there. Hey, hey, this is Arredondo. This is Arredondo. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? This is an emergency right now. I'm inside the building with this man. He has an AR-15. He hears about the teacher's call. Right, they're very precise. They know he's got an AR-15. All right, they're very clear on that. Everything else they want to obfuscate to avoid trying to confront a guy with an AR-15. When they finally do confront him, 77 minutes in, one of them gets grazed, right, before they kill him, right? But they're very clear that he has an AR-15. Aside from that, they just live in all these made-up fantasies about why they should not take action and just let the kids and the teachers bleed out. And that the gunman likely shot a person in one of the classrooms. Is the teacher, is the, is the teacher with him? In the classroom. So the, the chief here, all right, about seven, eight, ten minutes into this, he, he's notified that the gunman has shot people. 
and then he waits another 70 minutes before confronting the shooter. We have him in the room. He's, he's at AR-15. He's shot a lot. He's in a room. He hasn't come out yet. We're surrounded, but I don't have a radio with me. So you bet all the units know he's going to be in the room. Okay, the shooter's in one of the rooms. What room number, Pete? Yes, he's going to be in room 19, 11, 12. He's either in room 111 or 112. A call goes out for more units to respond. But from the footage and audio we've reviewed, no one is told that someone has been shot. Chief Arredondo, he doesn't, according to what we have obtained in body camera footage and call logs, seem to convey that information to anyone else. Right, he knows that uh, people are being shot, but he doesn't convey that to anyone else because that might be awkward. That might be discomforting for them. This is the first indication that now someone is injured. The chief was not asked about this in his interview with investigators, and he didn't respond to our request for comment. A few moments before the 911 call from the teacher, on the other end of the hall from Chief Arredondo, one of the officers says that the gunman is inside his wife's classroom. Right, for 70 minutes, he stands outside his wife's classroom. Right, doesn't go in to try to protect his wife, protect the kids. He just stands around for 70 minutes. His own wife is in the classroom, and he doesn't take action. The officers try to confirm that classes are in session. Right, they'll do anything to avoid confronting this guy. They would want to confirm the theory of relativity. All right, they would want to confirm if the primary cause of inflation is excessive growth in the money supply. They would want to confirm the the Big Bang. Right, they'll confirm anything if it allows them to avoid confronting a dangerous man with a gun who's slaughtering children. See if the cops is in there right now or if they're somewhere else. Again, the right, his own wife is in there, and he waits 70 minutes. His own wife is right there, and he knows that she's in a classroom with a killer, with a shooter, his own wife, and he does nothing. This police response is absolutely pathetic. Right, that'll do it for now. An amazing... PBS Frontline special inside the Uvaldi response. Check it out. It's on YouTube. Take care. Bye-bye.